Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. But before we get started with today's program, you can learn more about us, our free events, how to donate, the podcast, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael in the beginning of his series teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians and how we're all graciously called into fellowship. I'd like to suggest among so many verses that I could talk about in 1 Corinthians, a theme verse, turn all the way to the last chapter. Let me point it out to you because I think it's going to help us as we move through the book. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 13, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, and it says these simple words, but they're very profound. 16, 14. It says, let all that you do be done in love or do everything in love. Now, if you turn back to chapter one, let me uh, highlight a word that you've all heard before. It's the word agape or agape. That's the word for love uh, many times in the scriptures. And the word agape or agape is a word that means this. It means affection or benevolence. It includes the idea of community affection expressed at the love feast, which we'll see in chapter 11, the ancient potluck that the church shared in. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 11. But it speaks namely, agape does, of goodwill. Love means wanting the best for someone. You might want to write that down. Love, simply put, defined, means wanting the best for someone. That's what God wants for you. That's what we want for you is the best. We want a life that's not simply uh, one that's compromised, one that's just swimming in mediocrity. We want the best. Do you want that? We got one shot on this planet, folks. I want to live the best life I can live for the glory of my Savior. And I want to share the best with others. He is the best. There's nothing that even comes close When we experience life outside of Christ, then we come to know the one who describes himself as love. We find out what life's all about. I think we're all longing for love, really, in one way or another. And a lot of us with our backgrounds, you know, we have our bruises. We have our potholes that we've hit along the way. We all come from some measure of dysfunction. We all desire to be loved well. But, you know, the ones that have been trying to love us have had their share of bumps and bruises, so they carry those bumps and bruises into their lives, and then some of that gets passed on to us. And the Corinthian church was living in such a time and such a situation much like us. Somebody once said that you could call the book of 1 Corinthians the book of 1 Californians. (laughs) But maybe more specifically, we could call this book 1 Coronians. Because the book is very contemporary to our time. Let me just give you some highlights of what's going to happen. And let me share with you that even though our theme verse is going to be 1 Corinthians 16, 13, do everything in love, Paul's letter to the Corinthian believers is largely corrective. He will spend many, many chapters after this initial call into gracious you know, uh, fellowship and reminding them of who they are in Christ the most, most of the majority of the letter that we're going to study now from here on out is going to be corrective, which shows you something about love. Love doesn't just tell you what you want to hear. 
Love wants the best for you and me, and God is willing to share hard truth with us so that we can be the best that he's called us to be. And so I want you to take note of that, that as we move through the letter, remember Paul is going to highlight that we should do everything in love, that God is love, and yet he's going to share a lot of hard truth with the Corinthian believers, which tells us that love is not just simply looking over and not telling somebody what they need to hear. Love and truth do do go together. Here's the subjects that we're going to be dealing with. In chapter 1, divisions in the church. Chapter 2, the natural man and the spiritual man. Chapter 3, we'll look at carnal Christians. Chapter 4, we'll look at stewardship. Chapter 5, we'll look at sexual sin in the church. And Paul says there's a guy that needs to be kicked out of the church. In chapter 6, Christians are taking one another to court. Paul says, how can you do that? In chapter, seven, uh, chapter 6, we'll deal with Christian freedom in some gray areas. That's also chapter 8 and chapter 10. In chapter 7, we'll deal with marriage and divorce and singleness in the church. In chapter 8, we'll deal with how to not stumble a brother or sister. In chapter 9, we're going to talk about gospel ministry and the call to the fields that are white unto harvest. That's also chapter 9. In chapter 10, we're going to talk about how to overcome temptation and how to learn from the example of Israel in the Old Testament. In chapter 11, we're going to deal with the Lord's Supper. And some people are sick and dying because of sin and what they do at the love feast. Chapters 12 through 14 will deal with spiritual gifts, but in chapter 13 we'll deal with the famous love chapter. We'll see what love is, what it does, how it responds to life and difficulty. In chapter 15, we'll get the most comprehensive chapter in all the scriptures on the resurrection. Paul will tell us that the resurrection is real, that we are going to rise. In chapter 16, we're going to look at the subject of Christian giving. Is that enough? I'd say that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? So 1 Corinthians, which we're going to be in for about a, uh, probably about 10 years, I'd say. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, we did the book of James five chapters in five months. What's it going to take to do 1 Corinthians? It's going to be over a year. So anyway, that's what we have to look forward to. But we have an amazing journey ahead of us, an amazing journey. I'm really excited for this book. Let me tell you about the author and the date of the book. The author of the book is the Apostle Paul. He wrote some 13 New Testament books. He was once Saul who became Paul. I think most of you are familiar with him. He wrote the book in about A.D. 54 or 55. That's about 20 years after the events of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So within a close window of the events. And scholars believe that he founded the church at Corinth around A.D. 50. And they they kind of zero in on the spring of A.D. 50 because of some other evidences that we have. So that'll give you some dates. Paul spent about a year and a half in the Corinthian church, uh, establishing the Corinthian church. And the story is told in the book of Acts, chapter 18. Would you move there? Just a few pages back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 18. Here's the story of the planting of the the Corinthian congregation. Acts 18, look at verse 1. It says, In these things, after these things, he, Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, Paul had been in Athens and he saw a city, Athens, Greece, swimming in idolatry. They had some 3,000 altars lining the agora or the marketplace. And when Paul walked through the city, he was provoked, he was jealous for the God of the Bible. 
Let me just say right here that some of you, when you hear the description of Athens, Greece, and you hear the description of Corinth, you may be saying, why would Paul even bother? Some casual observer might say to Paul, coming in, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't there enough gods in this city? Isn't 3,000 gods enough plus an altar to an unknown God just in case we missed one? What do we need, Paul, this Jewish convert to Christianity coming into our city or coming into Corinth where there's all kinds of gods and goddesses and idolatry going on? Because there is a singular truth, brothers and sisters. There is a true God amidst all the lies, all the deceptions, all the false gods, all the messages that we hear. And the people in places like this need to hear with clarity the hope of a true God. Not a God that needs to be appeased that's much like us. You know, the gods and goddesses of the, the Greek and Roman pantheons fought with each other. They needed to be appeased. They killed each other. All of that. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I'm not like you, but I love you and I made you and I want you to know me. And so into Corinth goes Paul. He found a certain Jew, Acts 18, 2, named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy. That's one of my favorite places with his wife. I got to go there someday. I haven't been there. Priscilla, because... Claudia had commanded, Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome, some sort of persecution. He came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working uh, for, by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue. They found uh, in Corinth, by the way, a old um, uh, marble piece from a synagogue that dates to about this time, and it's called the Synagogue of the Hebrews. If you Google Corinth and look for artifacts from Corinth, they actually dug this up in archaeology and they have it today. And so he went into the synagogue every Sabbath trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself. He moved away from the tent making completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah or the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean, for now on I shall go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, a Gentile here, whose house was next to the synagogue. Talk about a strategic location. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision. Now, Paul, you know, the synagogue leader gets saved. And Paul has had some rough experiences to date. And Paul might have gone to bed that night thinking, this is cool. Crispus has gotten saved. His family has gotten saved. Paul got a chance to baptize this man. But Paul went to bed that night and thought, you know what? This is probably going to be a rough season ahead. Because the Jewish people are not going to like that the synagogue leader has now become a believer like me, Paul might say. And the Lord said to Paul in the night, verse 9, by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, which indicates to me that Paul was afraid. And I want to park here for a second and say to you that there's times when we're living as Christians, when we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to take the right stands, we're trying to share the gospel, we're trying to stand on God's truth, 
that we can be rattled. We can be afraid. Paul was not superhuman. He didn't have an S on his chest underneath his robe in the first century. He was afraid. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Paul has had some rough experiences to date, and Paul might have gone to bed that night thinking, this is cool. Crispus has gotten saved. His family has gotten saved. Paul got a chance to baptize this man. But Paul went to bed that night and thought, you know what? This is probably going to be a rough season ahead. Because the Jewish people are not going to like that the synagogue leader has now become a believer like me, Paul might say. And the Lord said to Paul in the night, verse 9, by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, which indicates to me that Paul was afraid. And I want to park here for a second and say to you that there's times when we're living as Christians, when we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to take the right stands, we're trying to share the gospel, we're trying to stand on God's truth, that We can be rattled. We can be afraid. Paul was not superhuman. He didn't have an S on his chest underneath his robe in the first century. He was afraid. He went to bed that night and he was probably, his prayer was probably something like this. Lord, even though I love serving you and I love you, I don't like being the target for people. I don't want to get beat up again. I'm tired. I'm poured out. And the Lord appeared to him and said, don't be afraid any longer. Go on speaking. Don't be silent for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city. And he, Paul, settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, uh, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, 
Look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the bema or the judgment seat. And they took they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. He replaced Crispus, who got saved, right? And began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. I'm sure uh, Sosthenes was concerned, but Gallio was like, ah, oh, let him fight it out, whatever. And so let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 1. Some of you have already taken note that when Paul opens 1 Corinthians he describes himself as apostle of Jesus Christ and he writes the letter with a man named who? Sosthenes, our brother. He may have been a secretary for Paul or in some way is sending his greetings with Paul, which tells you that two synagogue leaders got saved. Crispus got saved and so did Sosthenes. And I'm sure much to the chagrin of those who were in the city and didn't want anybody to hear the message of Christ and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Sometimes we think certain people will never be saved. There's no way that God could reach that individual. I got news for you. God can reach anybody, anytime, anywhere, any way he wants. We learned that from the book of Jonah. <laughs> Where can I go from your spirit, O oh Lord? You can't go anywhere. He rules the universe. Now, we are going to study a book that it was swimming in what I would call a corrupt culture. Let me give you a little background on, first, on uh, the Corinthian culture. Paul was enter entering a city that was swimming in affluence and immorality. This was a beautiful and proud city rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 46 B.C., it was at this point a Roman colony, even though very much Hellenized or Greek culture, it was a Roman colony intended to raise the banner of Rome and all that Rome stood for. It was geographically located in Greece, but culturally it was Roman. They were established to foster the majesty of Rome, the culture of Rome, its religion and its values. Some considered Corinth the most dazzling of modern Greek cities of the time. Many ancient uh, structures that have been seen today or built up, uh, dug up today. One ancient writer, though, described the nauseating behavior of the, the rich in the city and the misery of the poor at Corinth as a reason for not wanting to visit it. Corinth has been uh, described as maybe something like an ancient Las Vegas. Very beautiful, lots of glamour, lots of building, lots of lights, but lots of corruption. The main thing that drew a lot of people through this Navy town was an isthmus that was there. It was located 45 to 50 miles west of Athens, and it had an isthmus, which was an ancient roller for ships. Instead of making the 250-mile journey, which was dangerous around the tip uh, there of southern Greece, what you could do is you could allow your small ship to pass on something like a conveyor belt, which was called an isthmus. And they had slaves of the time and they would pull the vessel through. And you can look at pictures of this today and it would save you that dangerous journey uh, around the tip. And what happened was uh, Corinth was a city that was sitting on an Acropolis. Literally, it means a high city. And so if you allowed your ship to go over this, uh, this conveyor belt in, in the ancient time, you would pass right by the city of Corinth. And up on the top of the hill was the shining city with all these majestic buildings and all that was there. 
a great lighthouse, and Poseidon, the Roman god uh, Neptune, guided ships into the harbors. The place was filled with agora, markets, warehouses, wharves with goods from around the empire, spices from India, silk from China, linen from Tarsus, marble from Turkey, Greece and North Africa, timber from Italy. It was a city swimming with activity. In fact, the population at this time was about 500,000 people that lived in this Navy town. So you can imagine many, many people, uh, many things going on. And one of the things that would happen every two years was something called the Isthmian Games, second only to the Olympic Games. And people would show up here. There would be athletes. There would be slaves running around town. There would be all these professional seamen and so forth. And they would bet on the Isthmian Games. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul would use an image. He says, don't you know that all who run in a race don't all don't win the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Well, that's taken from the idea of the games. So Paul loved to use athletic metaphors in the race of the Christian life. And this is all the background of Corinth. It was a hotbed of activity. It had all these incredible attractions there and things to see. The Greeks had two sayings. They said, let him who sails around Malaya forget his home, that difficult journey, and let him who sails around Malaya first make his will. So it was much easier to go through this conveyor belt in the ancient world or this isthmus. And so immorality was rampant. One of the things I can tell you about the city of much that I could say of all these uh, things that they've discovered in ancient temples is the main prominent edifice on the Acropolis was the Temple of Aphrodite. Her Roman name is Venus. She was the Greek goddess of love or the goddess of sex. They say some 1,000 priestesses who were her religious prostitutes lived and worked there. And as the sun would set in Corinth, they would go out from the temple of Venus or the temple of Aphrodite, and they would sell their wares to those who were in the city. It was a very immoral place. You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and this was part one of his study in 1 Corinthians about the importance of fellowship. By the way, Thank you if you attended our 633 event with guest J.P. Moreland about overcoming depression and anxiety. If you missed the event, you can watch the video of it on walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Hey, well, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who came to our special 633 event with Dr. J.P. Moreland. It was called Finding Quiet. It was a great evening. We had a packed house. We had a great time of fellowship before. We even had some great cookies and coffee afterwards. But the worship and the content was really great. The Q&A time, I think, was rich. And, of course, it's hard to do um, everything you want to do in the limited time. But I think it was a great start to touch on a subject uh, like stress, anxiety, and depression. Put it into the light. Let people know that you're not alone if you're going through these things and that there's help. And uh, I think... You know, all of us trying to slow down a little bit and practice Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God, man, is important. So I thought it was a great night for me. You know, I'm just trying to put into practice things that I see in the scriptures just like you. And I think it's awesome when we can just be still and know that he is God and seek his face and draw near to him 
and he will draw near to us. Hey, I also wanted to let you know that some people on that special evening committed to partnering, being monthly partners with Walk in Truth. And what a blessing that is. You know, every little bit helps. And we have some incredible open doors to walk through with Walk in Truth. And, you know, those of you who are giving to the program, praying for the program, I know you're being blessed by it. And we want to bless more people. We want want to equip more people uh, to walk out their faith. That's what this program's all about, is walking in truth, walking out what we know and what we believe. And so thank you for partnering with us. And we're going to have more to come on an upcoming event here coming very shortly. Well, I'm excited now that we've turned to the book of 1 Corinthians. We finished up Revelation, and I pray that you are blessed by that. And now we're in a book called 1 Corinthians. You know, 1 Corinthians, some have joked, could be called 1 Californians, or put your state behind it, because it's really about modern, contemporary life as a Christian. All the same issues the people in Corinth dealt with a couple thousand years ago, they're here today. You know, there's there's struggles with uh, sexual purity and struggles with other religions and struggles with status and division in the church and so many things about marriage and so many questions that actually the Corinthians asked the Apostle Paul. We're, we're going to get clarifying answers on a lot of issues, and that's what's ahead of us. Very powerful book, very practical book, but if you were to boil it all down, here's what it's about. Let everything you do be done in love. And we're going to come to that love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, a powerful section ahead of us where we'll see how we're supposed to love. We're going to call that true love and walking out our faith in love. So excited to be in 1 Corinthians with you. Stay tuned. Tell a friend. Listen on the podcast. Get the sermons. Pass them on. Get into the Word of God. Get it deep into you. And I know you're going to be blessed. Tune in tomorrow for Pastor Michael's study in 1 Corinthians on how we're graciously called into fellowship. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. It's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.